See, I already messed it up. I already yes. messed it up. Already. It's a debrief I, I forgot, episode. Yes. I, I forgot it counted down. So <laughs> now there's that. Okay. All right. Now here we go. It's just like old times. Yes. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Uh, Chewy, we're home. <laughs> it's bad that I'm going to open that. Okay, here we go. No, that's not a blip on your sensors. Ladies and gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Prodigy, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by today's panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow, Tyler Monaghan. It is so good to be here. Hey. Hey, hey. And the undefeated, undisputed Cicero Holmes. What is this place? <laughs> Where are we? How did we get here? <laughs> uh, okay, so it, it's been a, it's been a while. Obviously, it's been a long time since we've come at you with new material. But those has of it been you, a long road? Uh, getting from there to here, <laughs> it's been a long time. But my time is finally here. Um, there you go. What's happening? So obviously- <laughs> <laughs> He's got faith in the heart, man. He's got faith in the heart. I, I do. That, that's what brings debrief back. And thank you to the cadre of listeners who have requested more of this show. Um, I'm not going to bore you with details other than just, you know, life. I'm going to throw it and leave it there. Um, we arrive with something of an IOU. The season finale for Strange New Worlds is absent from our current episode lineup, but fear not. We will plan on reconvening to bring that discussion to you as soon as we can. I'm just a perfectionist and I want everything. And um, one of the things that I wanted was to try and get Zachy involved in that because I feel like he comes with a unique perspective being a fellow TOS evangelist. But uh, we'll move right along. You know, Zachy's a very busy guy, as we all are. But, um, you know, we'll move right along and we'll try to bring that to you as soon as we can. But we got a whole other season to talk about first. So we have to turn our attention back to the 25th century with the third season premiere of Star Trek Picard. And it's a season that already seems to have won a lot of old guard Trek fans over even before the vast majority of it has become viewable by the general public. Uh, so we'll have to dive into that over the course of the season as it unfolds. We're thrilled to be back. But before we actually jump into talking about the episode, let's check back in with our bold panel because we've got a lot of catching up to do. Ty, how the hell are you? And what have you been up to these past few months? And also, what's your Trek journey been like during that time? Uh, Chris, I'm doing great. It is just, let me say again, it's so great to see all three of you again. I really missed doing the podcast and missed this chance to just kind of talk Trek with, uh, with you wonderful folks. So it's great to be back here. Um, past few months, 
you know, personal life, uh, like you said, life is uh, is eventful, yada, yada, yada. Uh, biggest thing, uh, my wonderful wife and I are now living in a house uh, rather than Excellent. renting. So congratulations. Uh, that's a big, big move for us. Very exciting. But the thing that I really want to talk about is uh, we have been watching Deep Space Nine. We just recently Ooh. started season four. And it's funny that you just a second ago mentioned being a TOS evangelist, because if you recall, the last time we convened many months ago, I was on, what, episode four or five of the original series. And I, yeah. I just have to admit, I have not made it any further in that journey. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like an old, like, uh, you know, if you're like a bourbon person, you might find this upsetting, but it's like an old, you know, an old bourbon, like, you can appreciate it, but like, I don't want to sit there and, and like sip that all afternoon. You know what I mean? I don't want to take big, big swigs of that. Um, <laughs> even though I kind of get it right. I get, I get why people like it, but sure. small doses are fine. On the other hand, deep space nine, I, I, I like, uh, my wife, Julie and I both have discussed this and we both kind of agree. We, we feel like all the other Trek we've watched, we're like the edges of this jigsaw puzzle. And we're like, we know what we know what this puzzle is. Like we understand the limits of what, but deep space nine has filled in the center of that puzzle in a way that I didn't even know was missing. And uh, it's just like, it's really good TV. Uh, the characters are like that classic Trek thing of just like Cisco, like still hasn't stopped being really, really weird to both of us. Like, we're like why does he talk this way? You know, like frequently, but I think we've seen, you know, like a, a fair number of the moments, uh, like the, the, we're sort of at the point where Jake sort of an inflection point of deciding whether he wants to sort of stay on the station or he got accepted for this writing fellowship and different things are happening there. And the, the premiere of episode four plays with that, with like a jump into the future. And I've seen some of the moments with, um, Jake and, you know, commander now captain Cisco, uh, and I've seen that relationship, that father-son relationship that you, Cicero, have alluded to several times as something that's really special to you about watching that show. And even as like somebody like I myself, as somebody who like doesn't identify with any of that in my personal life, right? Like I'm not a father. Uh, it like those moments have been incredibly touching, and like um, it's just like amazing to see their positive relationship and their um yeah they're like positive dependence on each other right and like it's okay for them to say like i really need you right now right like dad i need your advice um and it's like a beautiful thing to see uh so we're uh, like i said probably like about you know halfway through that show at this point and really excited to keep that going so that's what we've been up to uh in trekland and of course uh just caught picard recently uh but we'll talk a lot more about that that I talk, is... I, I've got I've got a, a fascinating question to ask if if I may. Um, what crew does Worf belong to? Hmm. Oh oh, so like Worf just got introduced to us in Deep Space Nine like two episodes ago. Oh, that's right. This is this is just now. Yeah. That's right. Oh, I forgot it was that deep into the show. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't oh, it wild God. in retrospect? Like, it's right. strange that he doesn't. Now, if you ask me which, which crew Chief O'Brien 
belongs to. Yeah. Now that's like yeah. a different question at this point, right? right? But Warp right. is still, yeah, he's still, right. Uh, right. Uh, he's on the D. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that yeah. is delightful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. O'Brien, it's funny. You know what? Like the same way that I think about, I, I think, I guess I think about Warp on DS9. I think everyone kind of thinks about O'Brien on on uh, TNG because O'Brien wasn't on a lot um, in TNG, but like he was part of the crew. But he's really a DS9. Like he is he is a, a, a key member of the DS9 crew. Um, and yeah, I, f- I felt like Worf was always in at DS9. I felt like mm-hmm. he was there from almost like I knew he came in later, but I always felt like he was there in like season two. Right. Um, yeah. He becomes a pretty pivotal part of DS nine's identity, but all I will say Ty is I envy you for being able to absorb this show for the first time. I wish I could watch it for the first time all over again. Um, because as much of a TOS evangelist as I am, I, I have said openly on this show TOS is my favorite, but DS9 is the best. And uh, hearing you discover uh, what makes it such a cool show is is great. And I hope you regale us as you continue to to go through this journey. I think it's just like, especially in retrospect and reviewing some of the earlier episodes more recently. I mean, they set up the Dominion going back to season two. You know, like the first time they name drop the Dominion, you're just like, well, that's a cool name. Who is that? And then for like an entire season and a half, the Dominion are like mentioned and whispered about. And it's awesome. Like, because I know that the Dominion War is going to be this big thing. But Mm -hmm. for a while, it's just sort of like, oh, what happened to that? you know, race we've never heard of freighter that just like landed at, you know, docking pylon four or whatever. And they're like, oh, right. I don't know, some yeah. dominion, like we better, you know, Odo better keep an eye on them. And it goes on that way for like a really long time. And then they even do the fake out where like the end, I, I might get this mixed up, but it's like the end of season two is like, Oh, we've got to gear up for like the dominion to come through. Like they're, they're like a threat. They're going to come through. We need to like add shields and like defenses to the station and then a whole season goes by, and they don't show up. <laughs> right. And yeah. they end up having to use all those defenses against the Klingons. And it's awesome. That's yeah. the point I'm at right now. And so it's awesome. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, I still know it's coming. But, like, boy, it is really, like, <laughs> they have, like, head faked and whispered about it. And, like, it soft-stepped it so much. It's like, yeah. It feels like, as mu- is it really going to happen? I don't know. Totally. And as much as I really do enjoy the first two seasons, like as soon as the defiant shows up, that show just hits a whole other level. You know, it's like, not only does it give them license to go to more places, but that's just such an awesome ship. And it just gets more awesome as time goes on to suffice it to say. The first time that they open fire with it and the phasers are like this crazy, like rapid fire, like shotgun phaser that just obliterates ships in one hit. I was like, oh, I was fucking out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It gives a whole new meaning. If you've seen First Contact when Riker goes tough little ship, you know? Yeah, you're supposed to have like seven minutes between when they knock your shields out and like, you, you know, you're supposed to have time to like 
get your crew together and like consult with them and decide whether you want to inject the warp core. But no, you're just dead with the <laughs> yeah. fire. <laughs> no time to react. Right. Those pulse phasers are brutal. Most definitely. Well, great, Ty. I'm glad that you are going on that journey and please keep us updated about it. Cicero, my friend, uh, yes. moving over to you, sir. What what have you been up to for these, these past few months and uh, what's your Trek life been like if it's been... Are you are you trekshually active? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man, you are a great dad. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, double plus, good sir. Uh, why? Why? Yes, I am, and uh, and loving it. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, like, let's see. What has life been like? It's life. Life has been like life. Um, I'm just getting older. Uh, and, and that part's cool. Cause you know, when you stop getting older, that's when you need to worry. Um, so, uh, yes. <laughs> the, then I guess for uh, like my world of Trek, actually, thanks to Ty, I have, uh, gotten back on the train of Star Trek Prodigy. So oh, Prodigy yes. started back up and I started it, you know, it was taking me a while. I was watching a lot of TV, but I, I got back. Ty kept, you know, he's like, like at least once a week, he's like, dude, DS9 is incredible. And have you caught up on Prodigy yet? And I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, I got to do it. And I finally did it. And he was right. Oh, man. So New Trek is, has been, you know, New Trek is probably a solid B plus right over the course of all the seasons of the stuff that we've gotten on Paramount plus. Um, but the animated stuff is, is an a to a plus like lower decks. I, I can't understand how it continues to get better. Um, and, and then Prodigy, which is the show that is branded for a network that doesn't exist anymore because no one has cable and Nickelodeon, um, but is supposed to be a kid's show, is phenomenal. It is so good. So good. So, uh, yeah. So, please, if you're hearing this, you haven't watched Prodigy, please watch Prodigy, especially now that the season is over. And you can you can actually just watch the entire series without without it you know having the weirdest hiatus of of all time. <laughs> um, yeah, just go ahead and get through it. It is super good. I haven't finished it yet, but uh, yeah, the quality is quality is is fantastic. You're motivated. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We. Um... We, we need to, to finish it up. I mean, I've been consistently impressed with that show. Just briefly in terms of what you said about Lower Decks, I think what has allowed it to improve is that, you know, the show started, and this is just a guess, this is just a hypothesis, but the show started as kind of a, a best of clip show of just really solid Star Trek jokes, right? Right, right, right. But then... Lo and behold, over the course of the entire time we've been watching it, oh, wow, we actually start to care about these people, right? So the the comedy becomes 
like where it was in first position. I think now it like, it's still a funny show, but it's more in second position because now we have enough time built up with the, with the characters aboard the Cerritos and it just makes it not only fun and funny in, in a lot of places, but it also makes it interesting. So that's what I would guess, you know, just in terms of how that show does continue to get better. Like, I feel like it's really finding its Trek legs even more as time goes on, even though it had already solidified itself as having a lot of continuity authority just in, in terms of the humor that it had. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad to hear Prodigy is continuing forward in a positive way for you and that life is going well. Uh, sounds like you and I might be feeling similarly to Riker on that bunk in this episode, you know, right. <laughs> I remember this like my cadet days, but now I got bad knees. Right? Yes. <laughs> Funny yep. how that works. Yep. Uh, Always. Rachel. Yes. My goodness, it's been a long time. Yes. Not for you and me, but. I know. Yeah. Been hanging out with you all day. So. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, um, how how are things? How have things been going with you for the last couple months? And what is your, uh, your, your Trek activity, so to speak, during oh. that time? Well, things have been fine. Um, I have been watching TNG as my uh, night-night show, um, so I watch it in bed um, before I go to bed, <laughs> before I fall asleep, and I watch till I am sleepy enough to fall asleep, and um, I just finished the second season, and man, it's, uh, you know, it's so much easier to watch more episodes as TNG goes along like first i'm like all right i'm in the first season i'm like uh, okay one episode i'm done i, I can't handle right. this anymore <laughs> and then now like towards the end of the second season it starts really getting to be like yeah yeah like i um once they get rid of tasha yar <laughs> yeah well yeah i don't know i'm also like uh i liked kate pulaski and i wonder what happened to her oh wow yeah Maybe she'll be yeah. able to. You like Dr. You, Pulaski? I yeah. like Dr. Pulaski at the end of season two. And Do that other was people it. like Dr. Pulaski? Right. Well, Probably just not. like she know. had grown on me. And then, you know, but I was mad because she wasn't Dr. Crusher. Like, where was Dr. Crusher? What's going on? And then by the time, by the time we got to the end of season two, I was like, oh, you know, it's. Here's our doctor, Dr. Pulaski. She's she's kind of a she's like she's bones, right? She's female bones. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, that and, is obviously okay. what they're known for. Uh, um, you know, like yeah. I get it now. And then she was gone again. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of like that she was like racist against data and then like learned <laughs> right. not to be. That was good. Yeah, um, that's a classic. One is my name. The other is not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have always appreciated Dr. Pulaski. I mean, I feel like any mm, any lack of patience that certain fans have for her is almost entirely because of someone she is not, as opposed right. to being based on who she is. Uh, I mean, I, I guess the one thing I thought, and I still think is kind of weird is that she had a thing with Riker's dad. She boned Riker's dad. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. thought we liked that. That's cool. Good for her. No, I mean, like, it's fine. It's just like, 
here Will is going through this kind of messed up confrontation with his own past. And then this is something that they add on top of that. I I guess I just found it distracting. Like, it's fine. Like, it's, I mean, but by that same token, like, maybe they could have said at some point she had had something with Picard and have that run through the entire season. But that's not how TV. Okay. All right. Can I just say in in Ready Room that followed this episode of Picard, Terry Metalis was hinting like, oh, there's somebody that you haven't even thought about that we're going to revisit. Your jaw's going to hit the floor. And I'm going to call it right now. It's Dr. Pulaski. Dr. Pulaski? Is Terry Metalis alive? Did she die? I can't remember. No, she is alive. The, the character, the character though, is is alive and well. Just just disappeared, right? right? Or I can't remember. I said that with such confidence. I feel like I have to look it up real fast. <laughs> okay, yes, she is. She is eighty four. She okay. is still alive. Right. She's she's going to be eighty five in August. So, oh, and okay. as as I was taught in the future oriented episodes of Justice League Unlimited that took place in the time of Batman Beyond, sixty five is the new thirty. So that's right. She'll, she'll if I'm fun. not mistaken, we've already seen the uh, super aged Dr. Pulaski in one of the episodes, right? Yes. I, I, I can't remember the context, but I can definitely picture her with that. Oh, it was a virus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. From a, a like, yeah. genetically engineered teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Aging you know, space know, virus. Those were the days. Right. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, Everybody, thank you for for filling us in. Um, but we do have quite an episode to discuss here, uh, so let's move along to talk about episode one of Star Trek: Picard, season three, the Next Generation. So, as is normally the case with uh, you know our, our episode discussions, uh, the bones no pun intended, of the discussion are going to be based off of the episode summary written by the fine folks at uh, at Wikipedia because those are such tight and, uh, and very brief episode uh, recaps. And as I have said at the beginning of pretty much every season that we've covered on Discovery Debrief, we are a supplement to your watching experience, not a replacement for it. So please be sure to have seen the episode that uh, we're about to talk about if spoilers are important to you, because we're going to assume from here on out, you've seen this and you just want to go along for the ride and have a conversation with some fellow Trek fans. So let's begin. In the 25th century, Dr. Beverly Crusher and her son, Jack, are attacked aboard the SS Elios. Beverly is injured and sends an emergency message to her former Starfleet captain, the retired Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. So obviously, you know, that's one of the ways that this description is moving fast. At the beginning of the episode, we don't know who Jack is. We just know that there's a younger guy on board the Elios with Dr. Crusher. But, uh, you know, just for the, for the sake of moving things along. And let me just say that I loved how the episode started with that intertitle in the 25th century, because it's such a clear homage to Star Trek II that I just couldn't help but, but smile at that. But uh, let's just kind of get the, the, the kickoff off our proverbial chest. How are we all feeling about this setup? Um, because it just seems like in terms of like kicking off a new season, it's going for action. But I feel like in this instance, maybe it's punctuated by the fact 
that we're seeing a character that we haven't seen in over 20 years, real time and in universe time. Um, you know, it's, it, but it is a pretty big action beat and it does seem to set up some larger conflict. Rachel, how does the kickoff for this episode come together for you? I mean, I, I think it was fine. Um, I guess what's interesting about what you've said to me is that a lot of the not my Trek or like uh, old guard Trek guys are like, yeah, this is great. Um, this is what I wanted. And to me, this really seemed like a very um, Picard opening, like, <laughs> like the other seasons, like they are, they do seem to have been kind of action heavy and like have set pieces and stuff. It's just with a character that you already know. Right. As opposed yeah. to a new character. And so I'm kind of like, I, I feel like maybe the thing all ever, all anyone ever wanted was a character that they were already familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I was fine. It, it's possible, certainly. Ty, how about you? How did this uh, kickoff go, especially considering your affinity for the next generation? I think as usual, uh, Rachel lays down like very casually, like a much more concise and like interesting, you know, reaction to the episode than I had. I think that's, I think that seems that all really rings true for me. Uh, I enjoyed it. I particularly, uh, it, it, well, I'll say this for the, the Dr. Crusher stuff. I, I found it a little bit distracting that very, very opening sequence that we're talking about right now uh, where, you know, the episode starts and it's a dark ship and the lights are the lights are blinking and like she's under fire i, I didn't really buy it you know uh i didn't necessarily feel like she seemed comfortable and believable in that role and i was distracted by the pump action uh shotgun phaser that uh <laughs> shoots harder the more you pump it i think pump action phaser rifle is a new one for me yeah definitely <laughs> chris you, and i think well openly commented yeah am i am i wrong that when you pump it twice they disintegrate completely they disintegrate. Like it turns into yes. like that's, that so that's like, how my nerf I mean, guns work you know whatever <laughs> it's, it's it's neat but slightly distracting but like you know, the rest of the episode, I, th I felt like I really appreciated the pace that they moved things along. There's some wonderful moments with a lot of other characters that, that worked really well. Um, so, you know, it, it, the opening beats of the episode, definitely, I don't know. I, it's not like I don't have any questions about it, but I'm enjoying it while it lasts because I'm not sure that my feelings from this episode are going to last. But I really, really enjoyed this episode. Excellent. Uh, well, Cicero, just in terms of the opening, do you want to get punched in the face by action by Dr. Crusher or how, how did all of this with, come together for you the first with, time with her pump action phaser? So, uh, <laughs> after, after I watched the episode, I texted Ty, Ty was like, Hey, I really liked the episode. I was like, I really liked it too. And then he went into a synopsis of how he felt about, you know, everything that he saw. And I was like, man, that's exactly how I felt about it. And then I responded. If there was one thing, I wasn't buying this this uh, Dr. Crusher, you know, B.A. Dr. Crusher. Like, that just, it just didn't ring real for me. Um, it didn't seem like, I don't know. It just, it just felt, it felt weird. Plus, here's the other thing that I've, I've gone into two seasons of Picard and left the the 
opening episode, first the pilot and then the the opening episode of season two, coming away feeling very energized and very hopeful for a season. And I felt like that. I don't want to say that they openly betrayed that feeling, but but it, I don't I don't know that I never if I necessarily felt the payoff of that feeling that I had leaving that first episode. So in mm-hmm. this episode, a lot of my, um, my anticipation, my, like my, my hope for the, 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 like the, the, the betterment of the, the you know, the whole season is very <laughs> muted, right? Like it, it's just, I'm I'm gonna wait and see. I'm gonna let them take me on the ride, and I, you know, I'm not gonna scream at things right now because if I'm screaming right now and then I'm not screaming at the end of the ride, then you know, now nah, you got me again, and I'm not letting you do that. Sure, no, <laughs> I, I I understand that. I mean, um, kind of jumping off of that, this is the first appearance of Gates McFadden as Doctor Beverly Crusher in live action. Since uh, some movie came out in 2002, uh, the title es- escapes me at the moment. Um, but just in terms of using her as the point character to sort of kick off this uh, this action infusion to to begin the season, I guess it didn't seem disingenuous to me. Only because, like, we have a lot of instances in the past where we've seen Doctor Pr- Doctor Crusher under a lot of pressure uh, Dr. Pressure. And, um, she has never really shied away from some pretty crazy scenarios. The one that immediately jumps to my mind is, uh, like she's trying to do work, uh, in, in helping people as Borg are pounding the door to sick bay, trying to get in, in first contact. And she came up with a distraction, a diversion in order to get everybody away. It's not like she stood and fought, but, um, she's still very clear headed and she knows how to do things. Now you could argue that that's a big jump to action hero with a pump action phaser rifle, uh, taking down these unnamed invaders from the Elios. But I, I guess it, it, it didn't strike me as, as too far outside of the realm. I think the thing that really caught me off guard about this is just seeing her again. Like I didn't expect to be as, because I knew that it was coming. Like as some, as a, an embedded Star Trek fan, I know how things are probably going to start in a first episode. And they've talked a lot about sort of the things that kicked the larger plot into gear. But it was really good to see Doctor Crusher again, especially because that seemed like a character that had, like for all intents and purposes, the last time we saw her in Nemesis seemed like she had things pretty well set up. There were some deleted scenes, I think, that alluded to the idea that she was going to go off to lead Starfleet Medical. Um, but Picard, as it has done in the past as well, is saying, oh, no, 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 no. This beloved character that you have spent so much time uh, you know, investing in, things didn't quite work out that way for them. And that might have, I think that was a little bit disappointing to me, but... We haven't seen the rest of the story yet. And the fact that she's finally here and that we're going to get conceivably 
a more well-rounded send-off for Dr. Crusher. That is very encouraging to me to say nothing of, of people we know are still coming. Can I just say, I don't know, Cicero, if you were feeling the same way, but for me, it's not at all that I don't believe the character could have gone to this place. Uh, I hate to say it and sound like a hater, but for me, the, it was the performance that wasn't believable. It was just oh, sort of the, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It was the face acting. It was the gun acting. It was the, right. And, right. And, and they didn't give her a lot to work with. I think, you know, uh, being able to interact with another friendly character other than locking her own kid out of the door in that scene would have uh, <laughs> helped give her something to do. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I buy that the character is there. I did not buy that that woman I saw on the screen has years of experience handling this type of thing sure. going down. Right. Yeah, right. And, and I think that that's fair. Well, uh, right. well, let's. But um, it was great to see her, though. It was. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic that that Doctor Crusher is back. Yeah, of course. And I, I mean, I assume totally. that 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 was the case. Well, let's move along with the plot. So Picard and his love Laris are planning a chip, a trip to Chaltok four when he receives the message uh, from Dr. Crusher and Laris encourages him to go find out what's going on in the message. Beverly tells Jean-Luc not to involve Starfleet saying he can't trust anybody. So when you can't trust anybody, who do you go to? The one person, you know, is never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to turn around and hurt you. Captain William T. Riker. And, uh, you know, I couldn't help. But once we got to this part of thinking of uh, of Michael Corleone and the Godfather part three or the Godfather coda, the death of Michael Corleone, depending on the version that you prefer. Uh, you know, just when he thought he was out, they pull him back in. They pull him back in. Um, I like how this is kind of deceptively nostalgic in a sense, because it gives us a reason to see and hear those old TNG props. But, um, you know, I, I guess the thing that jumps out at me is that, you know, we're all people who are very familiar with the trajectory of Jean-Luc Picard's life. How are we feeling about Picard potentially being ready to move on to a more relaxed phase of his life? Cause God knows he's earned it before, being pulled away into what is conceivably his final adventure, Cicero. Uh, yeah, he's earned it. Like, good riddance, you know. <laughs> um, it, it, and and not you know, and, and obviously not good riddance, but right, but yeah. but Picard, right? Jean Luc Picard has served us as Star Trek fans incredibly well. He is he has done his due and and you know and now his watch has ended and the i think the only thing that that as tng fans and, and you know people who have have grown up on uh jlp as as their captain their entire lives the only thing that we want is a satisfying send off right of varying degrees right because obviously not everyone's going to be happy with however they end it but i want to be able to say that that okay i got to see him have his end and and i'm i'm all for that Mm -hmm. sure i think that that makes sense rachel what do you think about like the idea of 
it's setting up his three days away from retirement. But then duty calls once again. Are you trying to imply that he's going to die on this mission? No. Oh, okay. But I do think that there is an element of tragedy to the idea that he can never relax. Right. Yeah, I suppose so. Look, I mean, I thought that the best send off for Jean-Luc Picard was all good things. Um, and they just keep sort of making him come back and do more stuff. Um, and, you know, now he's got his sweet robot body, which they never mention. <laughs> but I know that it's there. <laughs> so, I mean, he can keep doing stuff for a long time, but uh, Patrick Stewart cannot. Right. Um so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it kind of seems like they're setting it up for him to die or something. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, like, I just, like, I don't really care. I'm just like, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like That's not true. No, but he's just, like, always, it's always like he's like, I'm going to settle down and then, but I must <laughs> go on an adventure. And it's like, fine, yeah, like. But, but I think we should keep in mind that actually going on in previous instances where he is about to settle down, he's kind of been forced into it, sure, you know? Sure. Whereas, you know, like that episode um, was in season three where Riker tricks him into going to Risa. And it's like, I'm not <laughs> going to rely. And it's only when he's threatened with being solicited by Luxana Troy that he actually decides to leave the ship. Um it's like this is this is a little bit different just in the sense that he's ready to do this. Like he's ready to 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 relax, but even then he can't. No? I mean, he can't because of a contrived thing well, yeah, like, sure. I, of course. I mean, all of this is contrived by somebody. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, it's just I I don't really feel any of the tragedy of it i'm just okay. like yes he must do this because i am watching the show as much as i would like a show that is just like picard and laris like going on vacation but i'd probably be like the only one i'd be into that just saying uh ty what do you make of uh of where we pick things yeah. up with, with the good admiral this conversation is funny to me because it's like i have a totally different like Picard is not seeking he doesn't want to relax and like he's not seeking Jama Haran, right? Like he <laughs> Good point. like if this message from Crusher hadn't come, like you said what he was three days away from retirement, then like in forty eight hours he's like telling his AI to fabricate one for him or whatever, because he has to get out of there and he has to get back in like this is a known thing about Picard that we've explored across many different like shows and mediums right is like he this isn't him he's not capable of settling down and living the like family life at home like he i, I it's not i don't think it's a tragedy that he got pulled away from that i think like you you know that's the interesting question is like is somebody whose life really is given up completely to duty and to service to the extent that there there really isn't any picard left outside of that for laris and for this other life that we're talking about like is that a tragedy or is that a, a beautiful thing like i think that's the question but i i think the question of like does picard is he like oh dang i have to go on this mission i can't go settle <laughs> down with this woman and live out my days peacefully like 
of course, of course he's not going to do that. And I (laughs) I think, you know, if he had to do that, he would go crazy within like 72 hours. (laughs) I think that that is a perfectly reasonable and fair argument to make. I guess something that I would like to see potentially explored over the next several episodes Something that is kind of unresolved, at least in a larger sense, for for this man in particular. Uh, The one thread of Star Trek Generations that I actually do like in a movie that I largely don't care for all that much is uh, is Picard's feeling of legacy and, you know, being confronted with the death of his brother and the death of his nephew and having this deeply rooted identity crisis. And this realization, I think he even says it specifically in the movie, that there are fewer days ahead than there are behind. And what are you leaving? And I do think that there is a chance that that could be served based on Jack Crusher. I think we're all probably thinking that things could align that way, if I were to guess. Uh, But we'll see. They could throw a curveball. But... um, if this is going to serve as like a substantive end to the story of Jean-Luc Picard, I don't think that's a thread you can leave hanging. I, I do think that the outlook that he has on his, uh, on his legacy and in what he leaves behind is going to be critically important to address before he can ride off into the sunset for the last time. Um, but also too, like, if this sets up the first of 10 seasons of Star Trek Riker, I'm not going to cry either. You know, give me, give me more of, of, of the, of the Riker family. I will say, so when we talked uh, in season one of Picard, I think we were all in general agreement that it could have been so easy for, uh, for the, the writers to come along and say that, well, Riker and Deanna divorced a decade ago and they're bitter and they hate each other. And I was really glad that they didn't do that. So this illusion that Riker gives to the idea that, well, Deanna and Kestra don't want me around right now, that hurts a little bit. And I hope that they scoop that up and take it in a better direction because I don't need the resentment of the Riker Troy family on my conscience. I'll tell you that much. It is 2023. We got too much other shit to deal with. Do not make (laughs) me deal with that. Uh, Anyway, let's move along with the plot. So Riker and Picard stage a surprise inspection of the successor to Riker's former ship, the USS Titan A, planning to convince its new captain, Liam Shaw, to go to Beverly's location without revealing their intentions. Shaw declines, that's putting it mildly, Uh, but his first officer is Picard's friend Seven of Nine, who ignores Shaw's orders and changes the Titan's course. So this is a big chunk of the episode, and I think there's a lot here to potentially unpack about not only this moment in the show, but also the potential direction the entire season could go into. Cicero, unload your torpedo bays on Captain Liam Shaw. Um, Liam Shaw was a delight. Um, <laughs> so, right. So of course, right. Because like, here's a guy who is playing the foil to our heroes and he's completely right. Right. But he's a dick 
and he can be a dick, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't even. What did he, what did he call? He called right his his bebop, right? <laughs> you know, I had to clear out all that bebop that you were listening to, the unorganized chaos, right? Like this guy is he is a stickler for he is everything that Picard was before Riker before he met his number one and this is what this is what uh uh Picard could have been if he didn't have number one as as a first officer mm-hmm. um and just just a a stickler for the rules um going about his business doing what he needs to do kind of arrogant um but but probably very very capable and very competent right like mm-hmm. i don't think that shaw isn't a comp- competent officer i just you know obviously he's just the adversary to the people we like so but you see doing... him in the same vein. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to no, throw no, this in no. here. You see him in the same vein, let's say, as Captain Jellico. Uh, y- yes. Well, hmm. you know what? I felt like Jellico was going out of his way, was going out of his way to uh, to be the villain. Right. Like, I think that I think I think Jellico understood the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and saw the spirit of the law and ignored it and uh, and ignored it. And then and then went and then was like, "Eh, yeah, no, no, we're still going to stick to the letter of the law. I don't think Shaw is about that. Right. Based on what we saw. Um, It's just that, you know. He knows these guys are, are are rule breakers, and he's not about rule breaking. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't have time or energy for for their kind of shenanigans. All right, fair fair enough. Uh, Ty, your impressions of Captain Shaw? Yeah, I thought he was really enjoyable. I mean, you could just tell by his hair he's like he's like chaotic, <laughs> right? Like he's he's gonna throw a wrench into. He's the opposite of Picard uh, in some in some ways, but also like Cicero said, I thought that was a really interesting parallel you drew of like Picard. It's like the Picard alternate Picard without Riker. Um, one thing I wanted to actually ask about that I've seen a couple other folks writing about is like you know you just said right he's not Captain Shaw is not a rule breaker and so he doesn't like these guys Picard and Riker because they are rule breakers and like do you think that's really a fair reputation for Picard and Riker to have like I mean throughout like several seasons of TNG they're like they're just confronted with absolutely bonkers stuff and sometimes right. they do disobey like what what the prime directive or like orders are but like this whole cowboy thing like that's that's like newer to them later in life like i don't know so much about riker you know but I, that like he's just kind of insisting that picard is this total rogue loose cannon and like i understand that he's he certainly had some friction with Starfleet like in recent years, like, you know, in the time that we've seen on the show called Picard, 
but it felt a little bit like uh you're sort of insisting that this character is a certain way and like i know this guy and like he's not trying to break the rules right like picard is not he's not going around starfleet unless he feels like that's the only way to do what is right so you know in that way i thought it was a little bit uh yeah just sort of insisting uh on on him being the foil in this very particular way but i'm really interested like do you think he's going to turn it around and be like, okay, now that we're here, like you disobeyed orders, but like now we have to do what we have to do. And I'm going to become this grudging ally. Or is he going to really just like keep screwing them over and over? It's a, it's a good question. Um, there is an idea I'm going to bring into the conversation later that is not mine. Um, but that I think might have some bearing on that discussion. So let's put a pin in that. I'll just say that, Man, if Shaw thinks that about Picard, what the hell does he think about Jim Kirk? Like he right. must, right, right. He must well, think Jim Kirk is the second coming of Satan. If right, he's a Picard. <laughs> My well, God, it's it's. I think it's the thing of like if you if you actually did the research and you listened to the captain's logs and you and you actually read all of the briefs, then you'd understand the nuance of of the situations that these these two heroes have been through. Yeah. But if you're just reading the tweets <laughs> of what happened, right. Then it's very easy for you to come away with that impression of them. Right. Like this was the situation and this was the, the resolution. Right. And in order to, to enact that resolution, these are the things that they had to do. Right. Riker is You're, dispatched to do a duck blind on a pre-warp society, and he ends up having sex with an alien doctor. What the hell is right, going on? Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So if you're just reading the tweets, then, then yeah, it's super easy to sure. think of these guys as both, you know, both heroes, but also... Also rogues. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that all makes sense. But nobody else in Starfleet seems to see him that way. Like I, I think this right. guy is just like right. Like he he recognizes that Picard is still kind of valorized by all these people in the Federation, and he's like he's he's like got this pathetic kind of like complex about it, right? He's like that guy got to that position, and he didn't even, you know, he didn't even obey the Prime Directive, and this you know certain thing, like he thinks that should be him. Bad so faith, I think, you might. Say. I think he just sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Rachel, Look, Captain Shaw. I want to defend Captain Shaw and something that he did say about um, Picard being locutus. Um, I mean, I feel like Picard having been locutus wouldn't sit well with a lot of people in the Federation. It didn't sit well with Benjamin Sisko. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all this stuff that happened at Wolf 359. 359. Um, again, that's probably not doesn't sit well with a lot of people. So I can see some animus towards Picard. And secondly, um, Riker, you know, they are they're on the Titan and Riker was the captain of the Titan. And judging by how the Titan is on lower decks, like it was a crazy time and they were doing a lot of stuff. Like, like getting into all sorts of shenanigans. Fair. So maybe Riker as a captain was pretty pretty wild and pretty fast and loose <laughs> a lot of fun and so maybe that's sort of where Shaw's coming from but I mean ultimately maybe it doesn't really matter because he's just sort of serving a function in the story as you know as Cicero said the foil and the obstacle and 
and I mean, honestly, like, I, you know, I hated him too, but I also, like, understood where he's coming from. Like, these two dudes are just coming onto his ship and being like, uh, we want to go over here. And, like... And he's like, no. Yeah, and, like, one of them, uh, you know, used to be a Borg, and the other one was, like... Pretty crazy former captain of your ship. Pretty dickish choice of words considering who his executive officer is, though. Is it not? But but he but he forces her to to I mean pretend like that doesn't even exist. She's not she's not seven of nine. Well, let's get into that. Annika Hansen. Yeah, so that's something that I did want to bring up because Anyone who's watched Voyager knows that there is a reason that Seven chooses to remain Seven as opposed to reassuming her human identity. Her human name is a source of a lot of trauma uh, over the course of her entire run on that show. And the, the stating of her Borg designation is as much an idea of you know, saying who she is and who she was while also reclaiming who she could be for the future. Right. And I feel like there are reasonable parallels to draw with Shaw forcing like a dead name on seven, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do we, what are our feelings about that? Because it feels like seven's identity is being wantonly and maliciously subverted because of the trauma the previous trauma that was associated with her her given name but you guys have alluded to this ongoing undercurrent that seems to be informing a lot of shaw's perspective and that he clearly has no love loss for the borg um how does all of this come together for you guys cicero what do you make of it well i mean if if we're being fair, I, I, I'd say I'm of two minds about it, right? Because th- there's definitely a perspective where where Shaw's prejudices are warranted, right? And and while while they may not necessarily be the most high minded, um, it is it is easy for you to see the logic the logical steps that would lead someone in his position or anyone in the Federation, given the history that they've had with, with, uh, with that species or, you know, uh, with, with the Borg, that they, there would be some animus towards them. Um, and you wouldn't, it would probably be very, very difficult for you. If you have those types of feelings to, acknowledge someone by a name that also you know that also celebrates that that uh that heritage um and you can you can understand where that comes from it doesn't make it right but obviously on the flip side of that is knowing what you know understanding who these characters are and having an affinity for the characters as they are, you think it's completely wrong, right? Like, so as a fan, I think it's horrible that, that uh, Captain Shaw is making her, making her do this. But as, uh, as a Vulcan, I can understand 
you know, the logic behind it. Sure. Uh, understandable. Ty, what do you make of, uh, of this sort of imposition on her identity that Shaw's actions might be construed as? Yeah, I kind of think that's part of why I'm more on the side of he's just going to be a straight up foil and he's never going to come around and, and turn into any sort of ally for these people. Um, I do understand Cicero and, and what you all are saying that like, okay, we can we can understand why this guy has those feelings towards Seven or whatever, right? But I look at it as like, you know, the way that somebody like him and somebody like Picard handle um, – whatever you want to call it, like their privilege, their, their position of power, their position of authority is just completely different. Right. Um, because with Shaw, you have somebody who uses that power and authority, um, to just be pedantic, to, uh, make everybody else below them adhere as strictly to the rules as they can to kind of flatten out the identities of the people below them. Uh, because you can't, right. You know, it doesn't matter what your identity is when you're on the bridge of a starship and you you're working the helm and you get told to go to warp, whatever, like you just do it. Right. But you can go deeper than that. And I think people like Picard recognize that their their power and authority give them a responsibility to go deeper than that and to care about their crew as actual people and to try and bring out the best in them. I thought, you know, the, the whole kind of um, I think Star Trek always does this really well, where like Seven and Janeway don't necessarily have one definitive like moment together, but it's kind of this process that they have of you see the trust build between them. Uh, and I thought that was a really beautiful thing. And Janeway is not like a particularly like warm and compassionate person or captain, but you see that even like, and she certainly doesn't have any love for the board, right? But you see that she she understands that she's in charge, and and she has an opportunity that she takes as a responsibility to not flatten the people below her into just workers and cogs in a machine, but to bring out the best in them, not just as like Starfleet officers, but as individuals. And that means different things for different people. And to see, see her learn what that meant for seven over time was beautiful. And so to see this, this captain Shaw, just not even give a crap about trying to figure that out. Right. He's just like, just shut up and follow my orders. Your name is Annika. Um, yeah, we can understand where he's coming from, but I think we've seen like the world that Star Trek represents. If you want to be captain, you could do better and you need to do better. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Rachel, what do you make of Shaw's imposition onto seven? Yeah. I mean, it's not cool. I don't really have too much more to add. I just, I, it really makes me feel like it seems like every other starship that's not the starship that we're following in our show just like right. sucks. <laughs> in like every every Star Trek, that's like you definitely want to be on an Enterprise or a Deep yeah. Space Nine or Cerritos or Cerritos. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Cerritos might kind of suck a little bit. Now. <laughs> it's part of his charm. <laughs> yeah, true. Oh. Yeah, I mean. Um, it's hard for me at this point, just because we are so early in in the mix of things to make a final determination. I'll just say that uh, I was revulsed in a way that I wasn't expecting, like in a way that Jellico didn't even make me feel that way, because I feel like Jellico was never malicious. You know, he, he just followed exactly what he needed to sure. do. 
he got over the idea that he didn't like certain people that he had to work with, but that didn't stop him from working with them. Right. If, if anything, it just punctuated that he needed to ask Riker's help, but I feel like Jellicoe and Shaw would probably get along pretty well. And maybe they do. Um, but Shaw is just, he's, he's vindictive for the sake of being vindictive. And that's, I think a key dividing line between those two characters at least but we will as i alluded to before get into something else with shaw potentially in the future uh let's move along with the plot here so on metallis prime which you know some people thought was uh, a blatant act by terry metallis to uh like put his name in the show but that's actually not true metallis prime first appeared in enterprise so wow. it goes back nearly two decades. And well, he was he was uh, he was on the crew during Enterprise. Oh, was he? See, I didn't even know. Yes. That. Well, so he he was like he was yeah, you know, and part of the production crew. He said he started as a, I think he started as an intern, starting on like the late DS Nine and then Voyager and Enterprise. And look where so he, he is have, now. Yeah, so he may have now. yeah moved right along. Well, yeah, we've we finally caught up with Starfleet intelligence officer Rafi Musiker searching for a stolen quantum tunneling device that her mysterious handler fears will be used in a terrorist attack. She fails to find it before it's used to destroy a Starfleet facility. Um, this summary kind of uh, doesn't really indicate a lot of the nuance that Rafi's reintroduction brought to the table in this episode. I was so pissed off at the very beginning of it because it's like, come on, we went through this journey of her building herself back up. She's a grandmother for God's sake. She's doing what she can to, to do right by the people in her life. And you're just going to turn her into a junkie. Are you kidding me? But then of course, you know, patience bears out what's really going on here. And I think this is a good role for her. Um, obviously it sucks that she wasn't able to stop that attack, but clearly that's going to be an important thing going forward. And I know a lot of people are speculating about who her handler is going to be, whether it's someone we know, which I think is probably the case, or maybe it's not. Um, but why would they conceal that, especially in a season that we know has so many different kinds of people in it? It could be um, Dr. Pulaski, just throwing it out there. There you go, maybe it is Dr. Pulaski. (laughs) Who knows? Um, But what did you guys feel about this reintroduction of Rafi? Because this is a character who, you know, is one of the few characters that is present throughout the entirety of Picard. Like, we're not going to see Avon Avagoria's character again. Obviously, Captain Rios is, is long dead at this point. Um, and it doesn't look like Dr. Girati is going to be showing up at all this season, um, for, for good reason, obviously. Uh, but what do you guys make of this reintroduction of Rafi, Rachel? Yeah, I mean, it was fine. It just ve- it was very Picard um, in that it it was cool, and then the terrorist attack happened, and it just sort of amped itself up to eleven super fast. It did sort of feel like Mars, didn't it? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like it's just like oh, a little inciting event is right. happening, and like um, <laughs> Rachel Garrett just can't catch a break. She I know. can't catch a break. Her 
her poor statue. I know. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, I shared your relief when she wasn't really a junkie. Yeah. Um, just so. Send more money. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Ty, what did you make of the return of Raffi? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the whole, you know, feeling kind of upset that at what they had done to her and then relief realizing that it was an act. But like, I don't know, this whole thing with the handler is like a little too like, is this is this the beginning cinematic of a video game? And I'm playing <laughs> as Raffi. Like, I don't get what I'm supposed to care about. Like, it's so confusing. Who is like if she even knows who I, I was like, how did you get into this situation? I don't understand it. <laughs> um, so like, I'm sort of, I'm open-minded about it. Like I'm not like, Oh, this plot line is terrible, but like it didn't super grab me in the first episode, but you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But, Clearly yeah. there's going to be some kind of a convergence, right. As time goes on. One hopes. But, yeah. I mean, we would hope. Cicero, just, the terrorist attack, oh. real quick. I'm so I'm so sorry, but the terrorist attack was like a portal, like a giant portal yes. gun, basically. Yeah, right? it, it was, was like the thing collapsed, and then the same thing fell out of the sky. Okay, just making yes. sure I understood what was happening yeah. there. No, I, I mean it was yeah, opened up wormholes. Yeah, it yeah. was cool. Yeah, it was definitely visually inventive. I mean, obviously it's horrifying, but damn, did it look cool? Yeah. Um, so you got to give them credit for thinking up new ways to kill hundreds of thousands of people, I guess. Right. But, uh, Cicero, the, the, the return of Commander Musiker, what do you make of it? Uh, love Rafi, right? Love Michelle Hurd. Um, yeah, obviously, just like everybody else was was kind of worried. And then, you know, halfway through when she was like, ah, uh, my girlfriend dumped me. It's like, nah, 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 whatever. She's, you know, this, this is all an act. Um, this is too on the nose, too early for all of this stuff. Oh, so you called not that. To be you called it yeah, being an act yeah. ahead of time. Okay. Yeah. So I, did, yeah, yeah. I certainly did not. Um, but, but, but even, even with all of that, I, all of those scenes kind of upset me because I felt like it was taking away from the, the A plot. Right. And the A plot was so like, Ty once said this uh, about Mass Effect. Um, we all love Mass Effect, but the this one thing st- sticks with me, where it's like, oh, hey, there are all these side missions, and the side missions are compelling, but really, you're you're playing the game, and they're like, yo, the the entire galaxy is at stake right now. But first, why don't you go over there and check out some deals that I've got in the Citadel, right? Like. <laughs> I don't understand why they made the stakes so high, right, for the A plot. And then they keep adding this Rafi thing in. And yes, it visually it looked cool and all that other stuff. But it was just like I didn't I couldn't care about that because I, I was caring too much about what was going on with with bleeding bleeding Dr. Crusher. Um and who 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 the dude was, and why is it not Picard's son? Because it's obviously Picard's son, and it can't be Picard's son. So, like, that was what I was worried about. So, hopefully, all I hope there is a convergence. I hope that uh, that you know that more of this story makes sense to the point where we do care about why it's important to tell that story simultaneously with this other story that we've got going. 
I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store on the Citadel. Yes. Right? Yeah, of course. Here you go. Yeah. You did no, it. And I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think that a convergence is a necessity by this point, just because like a whole episode is gone, right? We're, right. we're not going to get that time back. We got to keep things moving. And if it really does want to land with the, um, the, the impact that it certainly desires from people, then um, we can't spend time uh, lollygagging, right? We got to get to the main right. story, but uh, only one episode and I'm trying to keep things in perspective, but I think, um, I think you guys all bring up some very good points. So of course the episode ends with Picard and Riker boarding the Elios, finding the evidence of the, uh, of the firefight, of course, and uh, Riker notes the style of disintegration that seems to have taken place from the weapon. And then they come upon a pod that actually contains Beverly. And that's when the new Jack Crusher introduces himself as the son of Dr. Beverly Crusher, the son that we don't know exist or didn't know existed beforehand. And even though it's been 20 years, you know, he looks older than 20. Yes. So how long has he really been in the fold? I think that these are all really interesting questions that will lead us into uh, to episode two, certainly. But um, yeah, it's it is definitely a, a I think this is a really solid way to kick things off. Um, it, I think Rachel is certainly right. There's the hashtag again in the sense that it did feel very Picardish, but I think that it also felt like it had more lineage compared with some of the other episodes of Picard that we've seen. It felt very connected. And I think that is probably, if I were to guess, that's where the root of a lot of this adulation from the most unexpected corners of Star Trek fandom are coming from. Um, the fact that it feels so connected, like that's not a, a personal requirement for me, as long as the storytelling is good, but I know for a fact that you can certainly use those prior connections to tell a good story, like have those connections as a component of a good story. And it looks like that's what Picard season three is going to aim to do. But as with all things, uh, time will tell. What are your parting thoughts for uh, our core discussion of the episode titled The Next Generation? Rachel? I will see. <laughs> I, I mean, like Cicero said, the other season started off kind of strong and then went went a little bit nuts. So, um, <laughs> you know, honestly, if they're gonna go nuts, I it's it'll be fun for them to go nuts with the original crew because right. sure. you know it's not like I haven't seen them in you know silly episodes before. I'm watching TNG right now. I just watched Shades of Grey. It was ridiculous. So Shades I'm of up Grey. for anything, yeah. I guess. But it has been a long time since you've seen them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't think that's going to get you? We'll see. All right. I'm, I'm not as... Uh, You're not as prone to, uh, to, to these kinds of emotional reactions as me, certainly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, Cicero, my friend, parting thoughts for the next generation. I, th- I think I think Rachel said it right. Like we um, we've we've seen this before. We've kind of seen we've seen this ride start before, and we've we've all felt like it's going to be awesome, um, and and it turned out to be less awesome as and you know as the road as the ride came back into the gate. So you know I don't know, um, 
But like like Rachel said, if it's gonna be if there's going to be a season of Picard that could be that goes absolutely bonkers, please let it be this one because we know everybody's coming back, right? Yeah. I just saw Ant Man, um, but not only and I saw it in 3D. But not only did I see it in 3D, I saw it in this thing called 40X, <laughs> and I don't know if people know what 40X is, but it's basically you you sit in a chair in this theater and it the chair moves around and there are fans and there are lights and they've got water that will shoot out of the back of the seats and you know it's all sorts of nonsense it's just nonsense and it's just and it's violent right so like it's it's like a roller coaster ride but it's two hours long right it's the the length of the movie and they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff it was absolutely ridiculous um I would I don't know if I'd ever do it again, but I I love the experience. If if Picard's not gonna be great at us from a storytelling perspective, the only thing that will be acceptable will be a 40x version <laughs> of Picard season three. Like it's gotta be absolute nonsense. It's gotta be the TNG episode where they're playing, they're doing hopscotch, right? <laughs> like it's gotta be bonkers. Well said. I man, now I got to do this 40x. You're telling me no. about it last night. No. Yeah, yeah. Was that a Voyager episode where they're doing hopscotch? That, that's what Deep Space Nine with the hopscotch. That was oh, deep, that was Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah, that was DS9. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Point well taken. Yeah. Uh, Ty, gotcha. your 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 parting right. thoughts for the next generation <laughs> the episode. Yeah, uh, really not excited about these bad guys. Uh, their ship is like a Reaper ship from Mass Effect. It makes a sound yes. like the Reaper ship from Mass Effect. It looks like the Reaper <laughs> ship from Mass Effect. It is real big like the Reaper ship from Mass Effect. I'm not about it. When Star Trek goes for like the biggest, scariest enemy they can get, Star Trek is not at its best. The Borg are the exception to that. Um, but not excited about that. Uh, I think what I am excited about, uh, one of the things they've set up the best, like I would love if I felt like this was just setting up 10 episodes of like this buddy thing that we got with Picard and Riker, because that was awesome. Um, but I am really excited to see sort of like, you alluded to this, Chris, but like that they see the like, the, like the the shotgun blasted body and, and Riker's like, oh man, that's a two pumper. Like, uh, that's not the crusher. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so... Like, as they get to interacting with her again, right, and to kind of, they've never really had to reconcile these worlds, I feel like, right? Like, right. like they meet Seven, like, Picard meets Seven, and, uh, or, like, you know, they, they become part of the squad in Riker in, like, the, the previous seasons, but, like, everything's gotten crazy by then. Like, you know, Seven is a lot more shooty than Picard ever was in, like, TNG, but, like, they both do a lot of shooting by the time Picard rolls around. But here we seem to like, it seems like they want to reckon with this whole, like what has happened to Crusher and how she has changed. And like, whether that was truly necessary or, or could have been avoided somehow. Right. Um, and what we do when people go through those changes and how we like, can hopefully still like hold them close. Right. Even though they've been changed in a way. And, and like in Crusher's case, if even like, pushed us away um it sounds like from those characters perspective and so i'm just really interested to see them grapple with that 
Um, and yeah, just seconding what everybody else has said. Like, like I said, I'm not about the Reaper ship, but like, if they're going to do it and like, I get to see like Jordy be like, what the hell is this crazy Reaper? Ship? Like, it'll be, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be fun. So as do long it. as they don't do like, you know, a symbiosis ending maybe, or. Right. Where you choose green, red, or blue right. to finish the entire saga. I'm colorblind, it's all the same. <laughs> and, yeah, maybe, maybe that'd be. It's going to turn out to be Armus, and Tashiar is going to come back. That's my other prediction for that. Armus, man, spits her back out because <laughs> they never really resolved Armus, right? They just were like, "We're not going back there." Isn't that what they're right. like? I better leave Armus alone. I kind of like that Mariner was still was like calling Armus up just to give him a bunch oh, of yeah, crap. Just the, like, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was pretty great. But all right, excellent. Well, um, let us move along before we actually close out this episode. We have a couple other things to get to. The first of which being the return of what I'm sure is an old favorite. It's pedantic continuity time. So this, this doesn't feel super pedantic, but I mean, it certainly calls back to things. So this, of course, comes from the fine editors at Memory Alpha. Uh, several of the observations that they gave uh, for this episode. So first... Upcoming Frontier Day celebrations are referenced throughout the episode. Commemorative posters note that the holiday celebrates the 250th anniversary of Starfleet. And according to Terry Metallus, this refers to the 250th anniversary of the launch of the Enterprise NX-01 in April of 2151. So I like that things are legitimized in terms of Enterprise now. Uh, let's do more of that. All those people are still around. Come on, you guys... Right. Uh, I think people have come around on Enterprise now. It only took, what, 16 years for them to do it, <laughs> but uh, but the time has come. Uh, moving along, among the possessions of Beverly Crusher are exotic flowers from the episode Cause and Effect, a pearl necklace from The Big Goodbye, drama masks, an award that made her an honorary citizen of Core Corrali 5 from the episode Allegiance, and a crate from her late husband, Jack R. Crusher, which Beverly retrieved from storage in 2367 in the incredible season four episode, Family. Um, Picard, uh, Captain Picard's audio logs at the beginning of the episode are taken directly from The Best of Both Worlds, from Unification One, and Encounter at Farpoint. So those are all some pretty big moments in the, uh, the mission history of the Enterprise D, of course. Picard's authorization code, Picard 47 Alpha Tango, is the car the code he used in Star Trek First Contact. I actually knew that as soon as he said it. Um, I'm, I'm proud to say? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I, I, I knew that, and I thought it was a cool callback. Um, okay, so Captain Shaw insists that Seven of Nine use her birth name, Annika Hansen, while on duty aboard the Titan. Seven had made the conscious decision to not use her human name when she was freed from the collective, instead choosing the moniker Seven as a shortened form of her full Borg designation, Seven of Nine Tertiary Adjunct of Unimatrix 01, and that was from the Voyager episode Day of Honor. Even after her time in the Delta Quadrant, only a few people referred to her as Annika, among them the Bajazi, the, the Bajazel who deeply betrayed Seven's trust, and Nerissa who mocked her past as a Borg drone, from uh, the Picard episodes Stardust City Rag and Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2. 
Uh, a statue of Rachel Garrett, commanding officer of the USS Enterprise C, is unveiled on Metallus Prime. It's kind of a cool shout out. And something that I didn't catch in uh, my first viewing of the credits, the USS Enterprise A, commanded by Captain James T. Kirk, is shown briefly in a registry of ships at the Fleet Museum at Athen Prime during the closing credits. So the Enterprise A still physically exists in the 25th century, which is a kind of a cool thought. That was the ship that closed out Captain Kirk's career. So it's nice to see. So now we have a section that uh, is kind of late in the game on this, but I'm going to call it observations from Trexpertise. So a friend of the show, Kyle Sullivan of the terrific YouTube channel Trexpertise had intended to return to video reviews of each new episode as he did in the early days of Discovery, but circumstances have necessitated that he focus on other things. But he did share some of the thoughts he planned to express in that video with me, so I thought it might be fun to run some of those ideas by our panel. So we've discussed with Kyle how he has felt a bit let down by some of the recent Trek shows, but like a lot of other people who feel similarly, he's expressed quite a lot of enjoyment about the way this season of Picard is kicking off. And here are some of his thoughts on that. Quote, we've only gotten one episode in, but it feels like a fresh start. An actual story is unfolding, even though some of the same story elements from previous Kurtzman-style Trek are present here, Wrath of Khan-style mega weapons or an opener that just starts shooting, for example, which we discussed, the pacing was more cinematic, more character-driven. Unlike the blockbuster format of the first two seasons of Picard and the four seasons of Discovery, here in only one episode, the characters seem like actual people who have interior lives. They actually know each other, have worries and concerns that feel organic to the situation, end quote. He also goes on to say that it's still milking a bit for nostalgia, but he feels like it actually has a purpose this time, unlike some nostalgia deployment in prior seasons of the show. In his, his words on that were, quote, the plot is driven more by what the characters want and feel and fear. This makes them seem more real. Picard and Riker's discussion of the past isn't nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. It comes from how Beverly coded her message. Their shared past connects to their current concern for her. And voila, we have a story. Uh, does anybody want to chime in on any of those thoughts thus far? Or you want to keep moving? I So I just want to say, I think he's right. But I will also say that the reason he's right is because the story comes from us, right? It's because we know their history and and we're able to fill in those blanks. So we know that when, even though uh, Riker and Picard, when they talk, it sounds authentic, right? Like it, it, those, those conversations sound authentic. Um, and, you know, it's not just because the actors are really good actors, but it's also because we've got that history with them, too. So we we know it's authentic because we've seen them do these types of things. So even if they're talking about a story that we didn't necessarily experience with them, we can believe that story to be true because we've experienced so many other stories with them. So when you get when you get more of those types of characters in a story together, then you're going to feel as a viewer, you're going to feel that more intensely because you, you're 
you're doing some of the work for the story mm-hmm. because you've got all of this history with these people. Sure. Um, so everything that like from the, you know, I think people were the most engaged when Picard, Riker and Dr. Crusher were together and were talking and, and everyone felt like this is what I wanted. Right. And there was, you know, there was that pop in the moment, even like seven and Riker and Picard, that was good, but it wasn't the same as doing it with Crusher. But you had that moment where you, you saw uh, one of LaForge's daughters on the bridge and like everyone's super happy about that. Like those are things that we bring to the viewing that, that help inform the story for us and make the story more authentic. So I do agree with what Kyle's saying, but I think those are the reasons that that feels that way more so this time around than than the first two seasons. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Ty, did you have anything to add? All right. Well, let's move right along. So um, Kyle also has some fascinating speculation of his own regarding who the villains of this story are. And some of his potential suspects include the alien parasites, from the goriest Star Trek episode ever in TNG's season one masterpiece conspiracy. But he also says that there may be a stronger Borg connection here. So this goes back to what we had talked about a little bit with Shaw. So as it pertains to Captain Shaw, Kyle picks up on the captain's apparent disdain for Admiral Picard by speculating that he may have had a loved one lost in the Battle of Wolf 359, which could be the source of some of the venom dripping from his mouth in Picard's direction. The credits also show a ship, the USS Constance, which is listed as missing as of stardate 44002.3, which canonically aligns with the Best of Both Worlds Part 2. So that could be a pretty big indication of where things go. And, um, you know, we're certainly no strangers to seeing, as we mentioned earlier, that uh, Picard's past as Locutus, and Locutus was even name dropped in this episode. Um, has a, a lot of bearing on what seems to be going on, even if the Borg were taken off the board like we saw at the end of season two. Uh, Ty, you look like you're chomping at the bit here. Hey, Chris, you, you just reminded me of something, talking about Locutus. Did you guys think it was funny that uh, Crusher encodes her message, and it's like, what is it, like Firebird, or what was the kind of code phrase that she uses? Oh, right. And it turns out to be the the Borg virus, right, that infected the Enterprise. And, like, it's like, it turns out to be you have to add three to every digit. And then she's like, but no Starfleet. But I'm going to encode this message in such a way that the only people who could understand it are literally people in Starfleet and not you, right? Like, because you were a Borg at the time. So, like, no Starfleet, but you have to go to somebody on the original TNG crew to decode this message. Uh, yeah, just like an interesting little tidbit of like, maybe like, just like you alluded to earlier, Rachel, like maybe all these other ships do like maybe Starfleet is like (laughs) actually overall, not as great as these ships we uh, love have have led us to believe. As good as as doing what they do as Indiana Jones is at archeology span maybe (laughs) it belongs in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, either way, I mean, I think that it's it's an interesting idea that Shaw's distaste for the Borg may come from something yeah. firsthand. Yeah, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that that's awesome. 
and, and awesome. it would certainly explain quite a bit, but it doesn't really account as much for Riker unless it's just anybody in Picard's orbit is deserving of hatred. I guess I don't know, but time will in tell. In Riker's case, it's just the bebop. That's that's right, what right. It's yeah. that bebop, right? Exactly. <laughs> Kyle also has a fascinating theory about the villain's potential connection to none other than Rachel Garrett, the captain of the doomed Enterprise C. And I don't want to get too deeply into it only because I think he should have the fun of divulging that to the public because it is a lot of fun. Suffice it to say, he ties in Captain Garrett and Sela and Shinzon into this wide ranging conspiracy that affects Picard. And I ate it up, but I want to talk to him about it when, when we have the chance, but absolutely worthy of, of, uh, of mention certainly. Well, Guys and lady, of course. It's guys been, is not a gendered term. Guys, <laughs> it's been a long time, but it was a thrill to get to to talk New Trek with you once again. Let's do this again a lot sooner. Yes. How about that? And um, and we'll keep the train moving. But thank you, it everybody. It would be hard to make it longer. It, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. And. I take full responsibility as usual, ah, um, but, uh, but really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to, to sit in, of course. And thank you to everybody who has downloaded this episode and has listened to it. And if we picked up some new people along the way, then welcome. You're among friends, but that is going to do it for episode number 85 of discovery debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like, and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. Let us know you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can feel free to email or follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, and feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we see exactly what the former crew of the Enterprise D and E is going to get up to in the next episode. But as always, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. <laughs>